Taking Back Sunday. It's not a band. It's more so a, a plea that I think is in the heart of God. Uh, Sunday is very important to God. Um, it always has been. Actually, it's God's day historically. It was it's always meant for a time of reflection um, in the body of Christ. And so it's an important day. It's not a time to go play golf or, or football it up, you know, and uh, tailgate it up. It's a time to meet together and come together as a family, uh, and that family being the body of Christ. And so you're in a good place today. So glad you came to church. So glad you're here. If you would, I'm going to kind of pick up where Bethany left off in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start off with one verse, and we're going to kind of, hopefully by the grace of God, unpack it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you notice, the words are in red there. This is Jesus talking. Anytime that Jesus talks, well, we ought to give a little attention to it, right? Luckily, if you have a Bible, your words are in a different color than just black. But here's Jesus. He says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Everybody just breathe in and... That's good news right there. It just brings me a great amount of joy and peace hearing Jesus say that. And of course, Jesus is talking really about Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 47, where Peter preached the gospel to 3,000 were added in one day to the church. Could you imagine that? 3,000 people in one day, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, somebody preaches the gospel, the simple gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people are added to the church. Man, that should be our strategy, shouldn't it be? We need to get on more boxes and public squares and start preaching the gospel and see what God will do. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 14 through 47 that the people's hearts were pierced. They were pierced, and the response was, what do we do in order to be saved? Oh, man, pierce our hearts today, Jesus, anew and afresh. Again, I find great comfort and hope in the fact that Jesus is building his church. You know, the church has been at the end of a lot of bad press, a lot of scandal. And I'm not even talking out, uh, about, excuse me, from without its walls, but I'm talking about from within its walls. So many jaded Christians. Have you noticed that everything becomes the church's fault today? Obama's president. The church's fault. <laughs> I mean, some of you may have voted for Obama. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just put, put it out there. I'm not, no, don't, don't, please, don't cast your stones. But it seems to be that everything seems to be the church's fault. Why is this? I, this isn't even a part of my notes, but why is this? Why is it everything, everything that takes place in the earth, every bad thing that happens is because the church isn't doing something? Or it's the church's fault for that problem. Have you ever wondered? You know, we've got to understand that when we look at the Bible, the last days are not exactly encouraging. <laughs> you know, they're very bleak. I like what John Piper says. He's like, you know, I... I I pray for revival all the time. He says, I sit in my study, I open the windows, and I, I ask God, revive this city. And he's getting all passionate. He's like, but, but I don't think it's really going to happen. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to mess with anybody's thoughts about revival. I believe that God is going to revive people. But a core of what he was saying is, if you read the Bible, the last days are very bleak. 
It's not like you're going you're gonna to see a great uh, move of God, you know, and it's going to be forefront in our minds or in our eyes. The last days are going to be hard times. Does this stop us? You know, I was thinking about a light and how it shines in the darkness. It's not necessarily dispel the darkness, disperse the darkness. It doesn't get rid of the darkness. It just shines within the context of the darkness. You know, you turn your lights up, it's nighttime out, poof. Lights are flashing. That doesn't necessarily get rid of all the darkness, but lo and behold, there's that steady light that's just shining in the midst of darkness. That's much what the church is called to be in the earth. But the church has been at the end of a lot of bad press and mainly comes from within its four walls. What a disservice that we would, um, this would be going on, that a lot of its ridicule and judgments come from within the church. A lot of jaded Christians pointing their fingers. The church is the church is not doing. Now, I'm not saying the church is complicit in all, but there has to be a place where you understand that you are part of the church. I am part of the church. We make up a whole body. Are we perfect? No. You know, I was thinking about Jesus. Jesus was surrounded with, by some very shady characters, was he not? I mean, he had this guy who constantly doubted everything, he didn't even want to show up when his friends were saying, hey, you know, Jesus came to us, you know. He's got this guy who's going to sell him to his death. You know, he's got a guy who can't even confess that he's a believer to this little girl. He can't even confess that he's a Christ follower. You think that Jesus is all that concerned with the present condition of the church? That he has stepped out of the picture of building her just because of some imperfections and sin? Absolutely not. This is Jesus' business. This is what he's good at. He's a good at making old things new. And no matter what stage of life you're in today, friend, you're in a good place because why? You're here. You're in the church. You don't have to be perfect to be in the church. Jesus is not scared. He's not frightened. He's not fearful nor shameful of your imperfections. He's a good doctor. We've come here essentially to be worked on. Jesus is not critical, nor is he standing back with his pointy little finger saying, it's all your fault if you would just... Jesus is used to being surrounded by some pretty sketchy people. Have you noticed that in the Gospels? I mean, people would ridicule him for hanging around with people that probably most of us would say he shouldn't be around, from prostitutes to tax collectors and all that riffraff. He's not afraid, guys. He's not sitting up there pointing his finger at the church and blaming her for everything that's wrong in the world. Being critical of the church is like being critical of a two-year-old whose parents dresses them funny. A two-year-old has no choice on what that child wears. The parents are picking out the clothes. Can I just say this? And this may frighten you. Jesus is responsible for what the church looks like today. Why? Because he's building it. And we may stand back and laugh and say, oh, it's not strong, it's weak, it's this, it's that. The bottom line is, That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am going to build my church. He's still in the business of building his church. He hasn't stopped just because the church looks a little funny. He's responsible. He loves the church. 
He's dedicated to the church. He's dedicated to building the church. And so I would say this two-year-old looks exactly like Jesus would have it or would create it. Even in the midst of its weaknesses, its shortcomings, its blemishes, its sin. The good thing is, is God is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. But there's a work in the inter before he does that. So we may be pretty spotty. We may be pretty wrinkled. We may have a lot of imperfections. This is Jesus' business. This is what he does. This is what he's good at. Again, the same Jesus that builds the church today is fully comfortable and confident. I mean, sorry, the same Jesus who built the church and acts and throughout biblical history is the same Jesus who builds the church today. And he's quite happy with his job He's quite happy with being the main architect. Jesus says, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says this, that we are God's field, that we are God's building. Have you noticed that about the scripture, that when it comes to the church, it's always like something that either God is giving attention to and pruning in a garden, or it's something that he's building up as like some kind of tower or house. Ephesians 4.11 through 12 says, that through the many gifts that Christ gave the church, like apostles, preachers, prophets, evangelism, teachers, and preachers, their, responsibi- their responsibility excuse me, is to equip his people for his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says that we are living stones. God is building into his spiritual temple. I want to be part of what God is giving himself to building in the earth today. Not only do I want to be part, but I want to be committed. It means a lot to me. I don't let just the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 16 kind of go in one ear and, 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 and through the other. I really take a good, uh, hard look at what that means, that Jesus is saying, I will build my church. I am committed to building my church. That really speaks a lot to me. You know, most of the times we just let that information just kind of pass through one ear and out the other. This is a remarkable thing. Do you understand that this is the one thing that before Jesus left the earth committed himself to do? This is the Son of God. That he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. The church may not look so good. Right now, but let's take a look if we could in Isaiah chapter 2, of where it's all going. Isaiah chapter 2. I love this verse. Now, this is a prophecy. This is actually a vision that Isaiah had about the future house of God. He says this in verse 1. This is a vision that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house. Some versions say church. Somebody say church. Somebody say it again. Church. No, come on, that's like you're at a golfing, you know, you're trying to be very quiet so you don't distract the guy with the putt and putting iron. Let's say church. It's a good thing. Hmm. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. The most important place on earth. It will be raised above other hills. 
and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. That's some good news. She may look a little rough right now. Things may look a little scandalous right now. Things may look a little bit in decline right now. But this is Jesus' commitment to the church. People from many nations, verse 3, will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his path. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate. Listen to this because it will mess with your eschatology. If you've been watching too many Left Behind series and reruns and redos, the Lord will mediate between nations. He will settle international disputes. How we need that right now in the earth. So, God, we're not going to be caught up in the clouds with you. No, he's going to be ruling from earth. The Lord will mediate between nations and he will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is good news. And you know what? It's not just Isaiah's prophecy, but, prophecy, excuse me, but Micah has the same prophecy in chapter uh, 4, 1 through 3. You don't know if he, he kind of just plugged in and knew what the prophet Isaiah saw, but word, verbatim, line upon line, Micah sees the same thing. And this is the promise. This is the future of the church under the rule and reign of the Messiah. And you know what? Even though this gives us a great look into the things that are coming, the things that are around the corner, we're not to get relaxed and just wait for this day. The appeal both here in these prophecies were that we are to live in the manner of such now. Have you noticed that about the Bible? Everything is not just, it doesn't just kind of harness us in for a certain time and place. Everything is like a preparation in the Bible. It's a, it's a work of preparation. You know, even when it comes down to don't live, uh, don't consider this, this earth as your home. Everything gears us up and sets the course for some kind of future that we have in Christ. But the thing is, we don't just daff out, unplug, sit down and say, well, Christ, when you return, this will be a good thing, but we'll just wait till then. We'll build our bunker homes, go underground, store up food, whatever it is that you do that you do. No, we're to live in this manner now. We are the ruling agents in the earth that are used by God to establish his kingdom. house of God, the ch- God's body, God's church will be the envy of higher mountain peaks. Other things that men throughout history have said, wow, that is beautiful. That is majestic. Let's go visit there. Let's vacation there. No, they're going to say, let's go there. Let's go to that little place right there where it's not as high as the other, but there is something going on there. Let's go there. Let's get, let's get hear the word of the Lord. Let's stream there to worship. I love that. I love that imagery and I love that promise that Jesus makes. Back to Matthew chapter 16. The same verse Jesus gives a startling promise, doesn't he? Jesus promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
I wonder today, this morning, how many of us really believe that? You know, when we look out over the terrain of what's going on in the church and the hypocrisy, the scandals, the moral decline, the controversy, you know, the, the church's conquest to find some kind of relevance and peaceful coexistence through watering down truth. You know, when we see all these things happening, I wonder if we believe that, the, that our team is winning. But you know what I found out in studying the scripture, which was new to me, because I always, I always kind of viewed what Jesus was saying as like, he was somehow going to keep us safe from the gates of hell. Like, he was going to keep his church, like, safeguarded. But I understand that that's not exactly what it means. That's not, it's not at all what Jesus means. It's not like Jesus is keeping us safe from the devil today. And that would be the sign of, of, of the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. But what actually Jesus meant, or what he is saying here is that Jesus builds the church by ripping down the gates that hold the human heart in hell-bent sin. In other words, he opens those gates so that people like me and you and others can come out of one life and be introduced to another. To, to, to come out of an old nature and have a new nature. How many are the product of... God doing such in your life, like ripping you out of dire, hell-bent sin. I'm the product of that. If you knew my story, oh my goodness, you'd be like, this guy's a pastor today. What is going on? It's by the grace of God. But all of us, maybe not all of us, but a large number of us have a story of God doing that. And that's exactly what Jesus means here in this particular chapter. He's not saying, I will keep you safe. He's saying, I will use you as the instruments, if you would, to open up hell's gates to cause the captives and those who are enslaved to sin to come out and be free and be part of the kingdom of God. That excites me. For example, how did Jesus build the church in Philippi? It says here that in my notes, he says, through a businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a pagan city employee who worked at a local jail cell. In Philippi, that was the, the starting of the church. Jesus does such that. He starts to shake not just the doors off Paul and Silas' jail cells. He shakes the doors off the prison uh, cells over the hearts of man like that jailer. And all of a sudden, they're engrafted into the kingdom. And all of a sudden, they're working to, to, to break out more people out of slavery and bondage. That's exciting to me. God uses us as an instrument, doesn't he? Just like he used Paul. He uses us as an instrument to bring freedom and light and life to others who don't have it. And that's what Jesus means about not letting the gates of hell prevail. That the church would actually be the agent, the instrument of change in the earth. I'm so glad that people and pastors and, 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 and family members invested in my life to see those gates open up so that I could come into freedom, that I could be a son and not orphaned. And that's our role in the earth. We are not just meant to suck air here together, listen to half-decent music, and, and just get a, a quick couple seconds of some goosebumps. We're here because Jesus has established the church to be his instrument 
to shake the gates of hell that others like us could come into freedom and to come into salvation. That excites me. That gives me purpose to just gathering every Sunday and going through the, 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 the calisthenics, if you would, of a service. I don't know if I used that word right, but Christina will hold me <laughs> responsible. The idea is we play a role. We have a role. We are the church. We are the people of God. We are God's body. And God wants to use us much like he used Paul in Philippi to establish the church there. We're not, this is good. We're just, a, we're just having a family meeting right now. But what we do after this meeting is what matters. What we do, what we consider our role as, as believers, that's what matters and that's what stands the test of time and that's what proves that we are really God's church. A church that God's building or just a nice social club or just a nice, you know, whatever, uh, worship meeting. We are God's instruments. He uses the church to set the captive free. I will build my church. The church is not a building. It's people. And it can be a church. A church can be a church without a building. The imagery we see in the Bible pictures this people, these believers, with, I'm sorry, image that we see in the Bible pictures the believers, these us, sometimes as a tree, we talked about it, that grows, and sometimes as a building that's being built. The point is, is that we, as believers, have a builder We have a gardener who's tending to us, who's building us up. He is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus builds his church. No matter what it looks like today, guys, Hilltop in five years will look far different than what it looks like today. And hopefully it will look a lot better, a lot stronger, and a lot more like Christ as we lean into his craftsmanship, as we lean into his work in our lives. quick breakdown I will build my church God chooses us in Christ from the foundation of the world Ephesians 1 4 and not only us but millions more scattered throughout the earth Hilltop you're not alone today the church globally is growing she's in good condition and God is on the move there's millions of us scattered throughout the earth John eleven fifty two. you can find that and he has many people in his city, Acts chapter 18, 10. He brought them by his own blood. That's Acts 20, 28. And he will make them a kingdom of priests to his God. And they will reign on the earth. Revelations 5, 9. Have you ever thought about that? We're a holy priesthood in that we're called or we're commissioned, if you would, to reign on the earth. That we're not just existing here today. That we have a mission. That we have a vision. That you didn't just come to know Christ to, to, to get your little sticker, to get out of hell free card or whatever you want to call it. That you have a job to rule and reign in the earth today. To establish and to advance the kingdom of God. 
Some of us can't get past our own selves and what is currently going on in our lives that it's hard to have a vision of ruling and reigning. And what does that look like? Are you talking about dominionism? What are we talking about? Simply talking about, again, and I want to reiterate this point, is that God has called the church to reach the lost. God has called the church not to just distribute believers throughout a couple of churches until you find the right one. God has not called the church to just be a social club, to just come together and have a nice little two-hour. He has called us to reach the lost friend. I love that we have many church people here today, but I'm going to rejoice when the, the unsaved come into this place and are saved. When they're being reached in the streets and they're being discipled in the church, then we know we're being the church and not just some social club. They will be his church. They are not their own. They are bought by a price, guys. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. We are all his. And he will gather them. And he will build his church. I will build my church, Jesus has promised. The church will stand throughout the pages of history. Why? Because it has a good foundation. It's Christ. I'm not talking about churches who have wandered into apostasy. I'm talking about people who have actually made Christ their rock. Jesus taught that anybody who builds upon him is wise. Anyone who builds their house upon Jesus is a wise man. And when the floods and other things come to try to war against that foundation, it will stand the test of time. Why? Because it's built upon Jesus. Today, guys, my heart is as a church that we would build, be built upon Christ, the cornerstone. That when we are faced with adversity, when we are advaced, uh, uh, faced with trials, much like what just took place over this week, that we can stand and we could say, we are the church, and we are built upon Christ. And no matter what the scandal, no matter what the decline, no matter what the confusion, no matter what the story is, we know this foundation will survive. Because it's not built on the backs of man. It's built on Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us today as a church to be such Father, we want to, we understand that we are new as a body. Lord, we understand, God, that we are just getting started here. But Father, I ask, Lord, today that we would be reminded in our hearts and in our heads, Lord, of what we are to build upon. You, Christ, help us, God, today to not just to build some kind of social club, to not just to build, Lord, a, a, a thing that's other uh, Lord, based and built upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to be the church. Let's just take a little time and pray. I probably should have done that in the beginning. But it's way early. It's way early.
You know, I went through a time, I think in my 20s, where um, I was new in the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was from, I guess, the church's perspective, a gifted young man. And, you know, in the church, gifts are needed. They really are. And, um, you know, my gift was needed, and, and uh, I gave. But as, you know, my influence grew and the gift of God grew inside of me, I, I realized that my head grew too. <laughs> you know, there was areas of, of pride and, yeah, just a haughtiness. Um, and, and over the years, I become a little, became a little jaded. Uh, and, and because of pride, I started you know, withholding from the church. You know, I got other things to do. And, you know, I'm just bored. And, you know, you, you just can't do it as good as me. And you need me, you know. And I realized I started neglecting the needs of the church because of pride. And, and in that, I, I started, you know, just skipping out, you know. Just not holding as like important like the way I used to. And it was all because of pride, you know. I think there's a trend in church to kind of withhold and kind of draw back and withdraw from. And because we don't understand how to give ourselves to one another, we don't understand how to give ourselves with the work of God and even we feel like what we have as individuals are very important in the life of any context of any church you know but the good thing about church is it's a body it's a body working together right that's how Paul breaks it down it it means that just like my hands all these little bones and these the cartilage and whatever these little you know that's pretty cool if you think about it like the way a hand works and how I'm, you know that's the way the body of Christ works and and this part of my hand is just important as this part of my hand and, you know and this you know whatever you know this this part of my hand is just important as this part of my hand and when we start kind of viewing church like that man church becomes a beautiful place because every joint, every member here today supplies the overall need and good for the church. And so what I want to encourage you to do, and I may not be doing such a hot job at it, but I want to encourage you to look at church in that lens. That when you withhold yourself from the body, it's like trying to do work with only f- four of your fingers. You know, like you know, picking up a Bible. I don't even know if I can do it. And I'd have to... You know, that's what it's like. It's like the church becomes a little bit less because it's just, it's missing that very important pointer finger. You know, that's just, you know, got to struggle now. And that's what it's like in the church. Every joint supplies the overall good. Rather, if you're setting up, you're singing, you're preaching, you're with the children, every joint supplies. That means what I'm doing here is just in, as important than what Bella's doing downstairs with a group of kids. And maybe the church wouldn't be so, you know, restricted by certain members not being accounted for or working properly. Maybe it'd look a whole lot glorious and stronger if 
that was that every joint, that, that the, the responsibilities of the church didn't just fall on the backs of a couple, you know? If I, you know, maybe the church would look just a little bit brighter. <laughs> I'm not just talking about Hilltop. I'm talking about the church, the global church. Maybe the church would just look a little bit better. Not even about looking, but it would have more of an influence in the earth. That's the thing about Isaiah chapter 2. is all over influence. It was that peak that was smaller, but yet the bigger peaks, the, 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 the bigger mountains were like, oh, I want to be there. Maybe when the church starts acting like a body and the responsibility just doesn't fall on a couple, things will start church changing. God doesn't promise to build a paraministry. He doesn't promise to build a movement. It's big in the charismatic church right now. Everything's a movement, but I don't really see much movement at all. <laughs> it's, it's funny the things that we lay claim to. Now, the, the, the church didn't, it, he didn't say, I will build you know, uh, this or that. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. There's something here. And God, we want to be your church. I'm going to have my wife add to the conversation. She'd probably be very helpful at this moment. Well, this is our final week. To, um, we've done three weeks on a series of talking about the church, and we've looked biblically. And I know for some of us, you probably have seen passages in Scripture in different light and different context, because all throughout the Bible, number one, we see the commitment that Jesus has for his church and to build his church. But in the light of Scripture, we've looked at Matthew 5, as far as a city set upon a, a hill and a light to all peoples. We looked at salt and light. and the inf It's always this language of influence. And even as Daryl was talking about today is the understanding of the gates of hell will not prevail, that it's, it's not really that that defensive place where we're being defended, but it's the offensive of there's, there's a place of taking over. And, you know, I couldn't help, I, you know, I was sitting in the back and I was just thinking, you know, we've talked about the corporate church. And for some of us, I think even our belief system has probably been challenged. And it's, it's kind of like, okay, this is what scripture says, but how does this translate? But, you know, the, the corporate church is made up of individual people. That's really what it is. And so whatever our belief system is about the church, that's kind of the, where our behavior will follow. And so for some of us, even as individuals, if this, what, everything we've talked about, the strength and the authority of the church, that applies to you as an individual because you are the church. And, you know, I'm sitting back there thinking, like, this is the reality scripturally, but oftentimes we actually can't grasp, like, global church being in strength or without spot or wrinkle because what we see is our individual reality of weakness and that we actually feel like the gates of hell are prevailing against us. Like we see our, and you know, we hear Jesus saying, I'm coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. And we think, well, I'm definitely not part of that because I have a lot of spots and I have a lot of wrinkles. And you know, there was one thing, and Daryl actually mentioned, you know, his teenage years serving in a local church. There was one thing that I learned and it's always stuck with me is, um, he was very gifted, and we had, a, we had a real sincere move of God in the youth ministry that we were working with. And when I say sincere move of God, like 80 to 100 young people not only getting saved, but getting delivered. And, and we're talking extended times in, in the presence of God. The newspapers were writing about the move of God in the youth ministry. But during that time, like he said, he gave his own testimony. But I watched, from a church leadership perspective, the interpretation of the young people was that they were rebellious. 
they were serving in the house of God, but because they had like, like he was saying, their heads got big, it was about them and their giftings, but it was really interesting. I was a part of that local body and the young people were kind of seen as rebellious, but I kind of also got introduced to some national ministries that started mentoring me. And I, I'll never forget, I was in, with one of them one time and they said, this is exactly what they said, and you need to hear this for your own life, is that oftentimes what the church calls rebellion or what we mark as rebellious, uh, being rebellious, it's just people that are immature. And you know, when, he, when this leader said it, because I can remember really being in a wrestle of thinking like this band, I'm like, they're leading worship. How are we rebellious if we're leading worship? You know, I'm like, we're, we, we love Jesus. We're not out clubbing, you know. It was so like, we, like we're trying. It's immaturity. It's not like you're not disqualified. And, you know, there's many areas in your life where you feel as though, okay, the gates of hell are prevailing against me. I have sin in this area. I'm in rebellion in this area. My life doesn't line up with the word of God in this area. I have awful emotions. I have rage. I have perversion. You know, you're looking at your reality. And in all honesty, it's not that in your, you're in rebellion. It's that you're immature. You know, like, let that set your heart free. But I also want to encourage you, your belief system has to change. That all of the scripture that we've looked at for these three weeks about the strength of the church, it's what you're called to. So every place that you've had a belief system that somehow we're all slaves to sin and we all just wrestle with sin the rest of our life and then we just plead the blood of Jesus and we ask for forgiveness, then we get back up and do it all again. No, no, no. Your paradigm and your belief system has to change because in order for you to be a part of this glorious, triumphant church, it means you as an individual walking through that process of coming into strength. And that's what God desires for you. That, and a lot of people, they withdraw their gifts from the church because of shame, because many places they see that they are crippled and they're weak and they don't feel like they have something to contribute. And so as we're closing out like this section of, you know, the church and the identity of the church, I really want to pray for us corporately. And if there's anybody that individually needs prayer is the identity of you as the church, but also walking in the strength that Christ has intended for you to walk in so that as a corporate body, that there's strength and that, you know, we're committed to that place of saying, you know what, I'm not there yet, but I'm committed to the process. I'm committed to the journey and understanding that you're not rebellious. You're just immature in some areas and God does not define you by your weakness he sees where he's bringing you. And that's what Daryl was saying when he was saying, God's not freaking out about the church. He's seeing where he's bringing the church. He sees us through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees, okay, you might be here today, but I see where you'll be in 10 and in 15 years. And that's the vision I have for you. And that's the way he sees each and every one of you. He doesn't look at your condition today. He sees, he sees through the lens of where he's bringing you. And so as we yield to that process and we just cooperate, operate with that process, he's faithful. He's faithful even when we're not faithful. So let's go ahead and pray for our community. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these three weeks of the scripture that we've looked at, of the understanding of not only your heart, but the identity of the church and the earth. And Lord, I ask right now for every individual under the sound of my voice, Father, that every place that their perceptions and their belief system, Lord, of them, themselves and their identity have not been in line with your word. Lord, have not been in line with the biblical understanding that you even speak this over them, that, that 
upon this rock you will build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, I ask, Father, for every person under the sound of my voice that has come into agreement with a life of defeat, that has come into agreement even with sin and despair as somehow that is our portion and that the, we will always be weak. And, and Lord, I thank you, Father, that even through your word as we have seen that you are committed to purifying your church and that you desire for us to be salt and light. I speak over every individual in this place, the, the calling of Christ upon them to be salt and light, that they would be agents of change in their sectors of society, that they would be agents of change in their home and in their schools. And God, I thank you, Father, that even now, Father, that every mindset of unbelief would be broken in Jesus' name and that we would come into alignment with the truth of your word. God, that we would come into alignment. And God, I thank you, Father, that that place of coming into agreement with your word, Lord, that it it even breaks cycles and patterns of behavior. Lord, I ask, Father, that even as Daryl spoke, Father, about coming out from the bondage of hell and into deliverance, we speak a delivering anointing. We speak over every person in this place that they will not labor under bondage, that they will not labor under depression, that they will not labor under despair, but we speak that they would be impregnated with hope in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak hope into every circumstance. We speak the blood and the power of Christ and all that Christ has made available. We declare over this community that that is your portion, that that is your inheritance, that that is your reward, that that is what Christ has intended. So God, we thank you for a community, Father, that would truly contend, Lord, for the fullness of all Christ has intended for them as individuals and for a corporate body in the earth to shine as light in the midst of darkness, Father. If there's anybody here that needs prayer, don't leave here. If you're wrestling in places of discouragement and defeat, you can come into agreement with someone that can pray with you and agree together with you and believe for breakthrough in your life because that's what Christ intends for you. Um, Five more minutes, hopefully. Maybe 10. It's still early. But I want to apologize. A little rough around the edges today. But I realized just as Bethany was praying, I didn't start off necessarily how I wanted to. And God did something pretty profound in my heart last night at the prayer set. Um, And I should have just been faithful to kind of track this way. But, you know, your pastor, you're trying to stay faithful to the program. Who needs programs in church? You got to just know when to doff it off. You just got to know when to get rid of them. And I should have I should have done that. And so I'm just making that clear. Uh, Last night, of course, it would be foolish if we didn't give attention to what has recently happened um, in Paris, Peru, uh, Beirut, um, and, and then other uh, Kenya, parts of the globe that have been affected uh, by um, the recent attacks. Lives have been lost, and it's, it's never easy to deal with things like this, to understand them, to pray for them, just kind of feel like, God, what couldn't we do, if anything, and uh, so we're praying, of course, when anything like this happens, the prayer room's full. It's lively. Everybody's praying. And I love it. As a pastor, I'm, I'm overjoyed. It's just like, yes, God, we're doing it. Um, and just started to listening really close to the prayers. And I think this will tie into the message. So please hold on with me. Um, 
people are starting to pray, and, and, and ultimately the overall theme of people's prayers is, God, forgive me for my nearsightedness. Forgive me for being locked up in my own little world that I've disregarded really coming to you and praying for other nations, praying for leaders and such and such. We're always confronted in these types of situations with the things we're not doing, aren't we? I mean, I am, am I the only one there? And so I, I, I just start to get this vision of my head of Peter. Uh, and, and, I, I, and I talked about, and I've talked about this in the past, about people who are impulsive. People who just act and respond impulsive, impulsively. And, and, you know, Peter, I said this, and it, 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 was, it, just, it flooded my heart as I was thinking about it. God just did something so good in my heart. So grateful for it. But, but I, I just shared, I said, you know, impulsive behavior looks like a man cutting off somebody's ear when he should have been with Jesus in his grateful hour, waiting and praying with him. You know, it's the same idea with the church. We so act so impulsively, and we're constantly on the defense over our own little corner. Keep this safe, God. This is all I got. But life is far bigger than our own little corner and our own nearsightedness. Come on, if, you're, if we're living a life as a church that can't see past our nose because we're so self-absorbed, we're in a tricky place, friend. And again, it wouldn't be right if we didn't respond to what's happened. And so what I want to do before we open the altar call, I just want to take a couple minutes of silence, reflection and prayer. More so just God awaken our hearts too. I mean, that's the cry in my heart in that prayer room. was like, God awaken my heart. I'm so impulsive. I'm so just giving in every aspect of my life. Trouble comes, God, you know, pay my tithe, whatever, you know, impulsive behavior, just no steady rhythm. No steady rhythm of just constant behavior, constant pursuing him, constantly praying. It's like we think we're afraid of being or becoming religious. Listen, the only thing today that will make you a religious person is if you shout it here and don't have it here. It's the only thing that you have to be afraid of. It's not how my a lovely lady was in the prayer room and, 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 and a lot of people were just about, and it's all about now doing. And you know, never once did Jesus go to his friends and say, Hey guys, could you try to go and and kind of take care of this thing. Some of these religious leaders, they want to kill me. Could you try to go to Judas and restore him? No. He said, will you wait with me and pray? Stay It's my moment. I need you to pray with me. Can you pray? And instead of praying, Peter lops off somebody's ear, and ultimately that's a lot of what the church looks like today. It looks like a lot of impulsive behavior in the moment. Let's just lop off somebody's ear because trouble's on our front doorstep. God has so much more for us than just going around on our little soapboxes, protecting our own little corners. We are not to constantly church today, believe me, hear me, to be constantly on the defense. God has ordained, he has, he, has, he has made a way that we can make gains in the earth today by being on the offense. I don't want to play defense all my life as a Christian. Keep me safe, God. Ah, the terrorists are coming. Who cares? If I die, I die. 
I don't want to play it safe. Hilltop, listen to me today. You do not have a pastor who wants to play it safe. I'm a dangerous man. I didn't really exemplify that at the beginning of my sermon because this is what I should have started off with. (laughs) Forgive me. Uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. But God wants us not to be a people of impulse. He wants us to be a people of steady rhythm, steadiness. Man, that's why I go to the prayer room. God, I don't go because I feel it. I'm like, God, work within me. A a prayer life. I don't want to get up this morning. Cold weather's coming, snow, bless the Lord. Who wants to do that? But I'm like, it's more than just going. It's work within me, a steadiness, God. I don't want to be impulsive. I don't want to be impulsive in my marriage, with my finance, with my child, with my ministry. I want to be steady. Oh, feels good to say that. So let's just stop lopping off ears. Just stop looking like fools, beating our chest because some injustice has happened. God! Like, like we've reduced prayer to like being insignificant, like it's just like a secondary. Like the, 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 the better thing would be to go and do something and just kind of be, okay, can we fix that? Let's repair this. No, Jesus just says, listen, wait with me, pray with me. Just Pray! Some of you guys got to get in the prayer room. It's not your time to go. It's not your time to go out there because you look like Peter. You'd just be cutting off people's ears. You ever seen those people? They're out in the the, the street corners and and they're preaching Jesus, hellfire and brimstone. You're just like, dude, shut up. You're annoying me and you're a Christian. You're like, you're preaching the gospel. It looks good, but it doesn't sound good. We could do a lot more waiting and pursuing Jesus. And not thinking prayer is like some kind of secondary thing that we do. Come on, some of you, some of you guys, you're ahead of the cart. You're, you're trying to be the horse. You're not a horse right now. And you're going to get out there and you are going to fail. You're going to get out there thinking you're a voice and you're only an echo. So God help us. That's all I got to say is God help us. The church isn't the play it safe club. We're not the white picket fence, a dog and three children club. We're not a social club. We're the ecclesia of God. We're to rule and reign in the earth as priests. (laughs) Think about that. I could... I want to rule and reign. I want to play it safe. Anyways. We're going to close here. That was 13 minutes. I'm going to pray with those who need prayer. Those who want prayer. Um, If we could play some music in the background. We're dismissed. Everybody good? Everybody?